spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David Ige. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs and Beachside Roofing. Aloha and happy Monday. Thanks so much for starting off your week with us here on Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanji Denise. And uh, today, this morning, we were initially supposed to interview Governor Ige. However, there was a scheduling uh, mix-up and he will be joining us later this week. So today, we are focusing in on the Honolulu Police Department once again. Yes, and we are so lucky this morning to have the State of Hawaii Organization of Police Officers President, of course you know them as SHOPO President, Robert Kavako. He's a 19-year HPD veteran and now the uh, organization's leader. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning, Yenji and Ryan. Thank you for having me on. You know, two weeks ago, you held a news conference that made a lot of headlines talking about staffing shortages at HPD and the ripple effect that has for safety in the community and also for the officers who are on staff. Uh, tell us a little bit about what is happening when it comes to those shortages. Yeah, so with our patrol staffing um, shortages, this is something that has been, uh, we've been dealing with as officers for, you know, 15 plus years. Um, and now that um, you know, and we've never spoken out about it before as a as a union uh, to to this extent, and so now that um, I'm in a position where we can do that, we're putting this on the forefront uh, with our patrol staffing. We've been working uh, with you know 60, 65 percent, 70 percent on an average with our officers on the road. So uh, for the public to understand that if uh, a watch uh, of officers in a particular district, uh, you know, if there's, you have 20 officers filling uh, 20 beats and you have 20 officers, that would be 100% uh, staffing. But, you know, at the start of the shift, we're working short, let's say we're working with 15 officers. So we're five officers short. Um, and we've been doing that for years. And uh, as the, the shift starts, things happen in the community. And that number fluctuates as we go into the shift. So, you know, our, our position with the staffing is that the community deserves uh, 100% on all, on all you know, three watches uh, every day. And I think uh, the community deserves that for public safety. We've had several incidents just within the last uh, two months, one in District 3 in Pearl City, where they have uh, 17 beats. They started the night in roll call with 10 which came out to 58%. Uh, they went out to uh, to do their, their job on patrol. A fatality happened on the H1, H2 freeway at about midnight, uh, which took up a number of officers. It only left you know, two or three answering calls for service uh, from Red Hill all the way to Kunia. And that's the kind of thing that uh, we're talking about. Uh, when I speak on this patrol staffing stuff, I'm not speaking as Robert Cavaco. I'm speaking for the 1,100 patrol cops that uh, are dealing with this. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you another uh, situation that happened uh, three weeks ago in, in the Middleani area uh, for our District 2. 
uh, our officers showed up at the, the 2 p.m. Uh, work shift, work shift uh, and they started with seven officers for 13 beats. And uh, they went out on the road. It got busy. And then uh, the sector sergeant documented uh, in a, in a uh, miscellaneous report that the dispatcher contacted the watch lieutenant and said that sh uh, she has multiple uh, priority one in-progress cases to send out that she has no officers available. Um, and so the department, they hired that particular day three officers on overtime, but they didn't come in until 4 p.m. So you had that two-hour gap. And we're trying to bring this to light to the department that we want to start the day at 100%. So when things happen, you know, uh, like Tiff and KK's incident in 2019, which happened on a Sunday morning, um, the incident at the Kahala Hilton Hotel, uh, where um, uh, somebody in the in a unit, in the hotel unit, uh, had a gun and it became a barricade situation. Luckily that day, the East Honolulu District was properly staffed. But th if they were normally working uh, at the numbers they are working with currently, that could have been a uh, a situation that could have turned out uh, worse than it already did. And what has been the department's response to this uh, request for more, more staffing? I mean, what has that conversation been like with them and, and, and how have they responded to, um, you know, your, your overall concern? So we're actually getting a good response from Chief Vanek and his administration. Uh, we're gonna, we sat down with them last week. We're gonna sit down with them again tomorrow. And uh, we're discussing solutions to this. Uh, we're holding our, our position strong uh, we want 100% patrol staffing for our officers, and I think we're getting a good a good response from them. They're, they're they're willing to work with us and try and see how we can solve this this issue. And we realize that you know Chief Vanek is is interim chief, so um, it may be hard for him where he may not want to uh, do something bold or do like a a big uh, uh, decision where um, you would. Uh, not upend the department, but make a decision where maybe uh, a, a person that is the chief um, of the department would do. Um, tell us a little bit about the consequences of having those shortages and also the remedy, because I think from the public standpoint, it, it seems like, well, this must be a financial decision. This must be an allocation of resources. Does the department not have adequate funding uh, to staff at the level that is needed right now? Well, we think that the department does. Um, you know, Gina Mangieri came out with a report uh, recently, the other week, and it showed that uh, the department gave back millions of dollars. Um, they gave back an average of $6 million over the last uh, five years. And the fiscal year ending June of last year, uh, they gave back $18.3 million. Um, and so that's not federal funds. That's not CARES money funds. That's money that's approved by the city council in the department's budget that is approved uh, to be spent. And uh, our members feel like we've been lied to because... Uh, in the past, for the last two years, um, and this goes uh, from before Chief Vanek's uh, administration, we were always been told we have no money. We have no money. Uh, it's it's bare core to the bone. You gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. We gotta cut here, cut there. There's no money in the budget. And then when we found that the department was giving back millions, that really upset 
the patrol officers because you know here they are working short out in the field and um you know we're giving back this money which could be used to to fill the beats and when we're on this subject of uh, patrol staffing i just wanted to address a comment from uh commissioner doug chin uh, he was on your program on friday and basically he said well the staffing problem has always been a staffing problem i was the managing director in 2010 and uh you know it's it's always been a, a staffing problem it's he doesn't feel that it's dramatically worse than it was before well i think that was very dismissive to our police officers and to our department you know if he was the managing director in 2010 under peter carlisle then what did he do about it you know what is he doing currently about it uh, about the staffing issue uh, but i would like to say that i'm, I'm glad that uh, the media is giving this attention because now we have gotten all the stakeholders' attention. We've got the mayor's attention, who's been supportive. We've got the city council's uh, attention. Uh, and we're meeting with them uh, every week. And we've gotten the department's attention. So we're happy that it's getting the attention that it deserves. And we feel that the next chief to come in, whoever that may be, uh, will properly address this situation. And uh, hopefully, it'll have a, a, a better effect on our community. Let's talk a little bit about that search for this new chief. Uh, you know, we, we, as you mentioned, spoke to members of the commission on Friday on this program. And they said that uh, this is still uh, in, in the early stages of finding this new uh, person to lead this department. It could take up to maybe four to five more months until they actually have somebody that they will be naming into this position. What are your thoughts been on this process to search for a new chief? And um, do you think that that four to five months of them really spending time to go through this process is worth this weight and um, is something that you can support uh, them taking time like this to make sure that they find the right candidate? Well, I think uh, we can support that they are taking the time to um, do this. You know, initially we were very frustrated and to a certain extent we are still frustrated that this is going to take, you know, over a year or about a year in order to um, find a chief. And uh, to, to hire a consulting firm at $145,000 um we feel that this process could have been done by the commission themselves uh you know as far as the survey that was released to the public the commission could do the survey uh you know on its own to get that feedback and we welcome feedback from the community um as far as what they want to see in the in the police chief next police chief but how many different things can you say about what do you want to see in the next chief uh you wouldn't expect the community to say you know they want a chief that's just gonna sit down in his office and watch youtube all day you know th that kind of comment you're gonna get the same uh broad end of the spectrum on what do you want to see in a chief integrity family values good morals compassionate for the community and uh their officers that he or she is rep uh, representing and and leading uh having empathy and understanding uh being strong and firm being tough on crime, uh, being assertive, uh, and having true grit. And so uh, those are going to be the things where our community is going to say that's what they want to see in the chief. I think we can all agree on that. Those are the characteristics of someone to lead a large department. And um, we just feel that we're already uh, along in this process already. Um, so it's going to play out, and we'll, we'll support the commission in that way to try and get it done as quickly as possible. Uh, but, you know, looking at Maui, uh, Maui chose their police chief and 
less than three months. Um, and some other departments on the mainland. Gina did a story on that as well. So, you know, we'll hope, we hope that the process will uh, definitely finish off stronger than it started. I want to ask you about that search, uh, just in terms of, do you think the person should be someone from inside the department right now, or do you favor having someone from the outside come in? Maui, as you noted, of course, has a chief that came from the mainland, as does Kauai. What are your thoughts on um, whether this person should be homegrown or come from the outside? Well, we just want the best candidate and the best qualified candidate to come in and lead the department. Now, if that's a candidate from the outside and that's the way the commission feels, then so be it. If it's somebody internally that uh, has gone through the, the process and has shown that he or she can, can lead um, the department at a high level, then we're okay with that too. Uh, but we do kind of lean on the side of an internal um, uh, police chief, just the fact of uh, understanding Hawaii and what we're all about and um, how things are done here in Hawaii and how the department, our department operates. Um, I think some of the challenges that we're seeing on with uh, Maui and their chief is, um, you know, he, he came from from Las Vegas and, uh, you know, it's, it's him and, and the deputy chief also came from Las Vegas. So from an outsider coming in to a department that's had a command staff that's uh, gone up through the ranks to try and achieve that position, I think there was some animosity there and they kind of got off uh, on the wrong foot but we're kind of closely monitoring that i think um it's going to be a work in progress but uh we wish chief pelletier the best and, and hopefully will you know lead the, the maui department um to to properly serve the community you know interim chief vanek has assumed this role after uh, chief ballard decides to take that early retirement i'm wondering if you can share your thoughts on how you feel he's done within this department in this interim role uh and just your overall relationship in working with this interim chief well i've worked with chief vanek in the past uh on the road and he and him are beat partners so we know each other well um i think he's a very educated and bright individual he has a lot of good uh ideas and um i think you know, he has the qualities of, of uh, becoming the next chief. I think maybe that we would appreciate or would have liked him to maybe make uh, some, some stronger decisions on the interim as far as which way the department goes, as far as our staffing and, you know, some of the other things. But, you know, we realized that he's only there in, in the interim while um, the search is being done. So we can understand his position that he doesn't want to go out too far on a limb uh, to make any any you know real big changes for the department. You know, you've got a relatively new face, uh, not necessarily new to the state, but new in that office in Steve Alm in the prosecutor's office. Tell us a little bit from the police perspective on how you think the prosecuting de prosecuting department is doing prosecutor's office rather, um, and how they are working hand in hand with your officers. So, with the prosecutor's office, you know, we recently had. Um, that uh, murder in front of the, the uh, Kapolei police station in which an innocent lady lost her life. And I think that was uh, something that had happened where it could have been prevented. And I think it brought to light what some of the issues that the department has dealt, dealt with the prosecuting office, uh, prosecuting attorney's office for years. And this is before prosecuting arm took office. Um, the, the frustrating thing for our members is that they do such a great job with 
making arrests, um, making good arrests, good felony cases. And then when they confer it with the prosecutors, they find every which way to dump the case a lot of times. And we, we see that, uh, frankly, uh, with auto theft. Uh, a lot of times, uh, if the suspect is caught uh, uh, inside a, a vehicle that's stolen, uh, the case gets conferred. And if there's a key in the ignition, nine times out of 10, they dump the case because they uh, basically say that the person operating the vehicle, they can always say that they were given permission by the owner. Uh, and we feel that that's a, that's a very bad practice. Uh, there's other cases that, uh, you know, could be charged and not. Um, if the public doesn't know, the prosecuting uh, attorney does have a charging criteria uh, that they send to the chief. And it's, it's a guideline, but unless the suspect fits this charging criteria, um, they don't charge them in most cases. And I'll give you an example, uh, Yanji and Ryan. Let's say you guys finish your, your work shift today and you go home, it's about 4.30, and you open the door to your home and you find that your your uh, your home has been ransacked. Things are all over the place. Your jewelry is missing. Some cash is taken. Your TV is gone. You walk into your living room, and there's the suspect there. He sees you. He runs out the door. Okay. You call the police. You call 911. We respond. We we locate him uh, down the street and we arrest him. Okay. For burglary, in the first degree, class C felony. When the case gets conferred with the prosecutor's office in order to charge that individual. If that person is not a major offender, um, is not a transient, um, they're not going to charge them. Uh, the charging criteria for burglary first, and I have it right here, uh, is that the crime was the crime was committed be, uh, between the hours of 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. Uh, wh why that's there? That's absolutely absurd. I think the I think the community should be in an uproar that somebody can come into your home burglarize your home between the hours of 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. And they wouldn't get charged if they don't have multiple arrests. And I think as a union, we really feel, we believe in giving people in our community uh, second chances. You know, um, it's not just send everybody to jail. But when you have offenders doing these types of crimes 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 100 times, and they're being released out into the community and then keep reoffending. then I think that's definitely a problem that needs to be um, addressed. And uh, to give uh, Steve Om some credit, we do have a meeting with him in a few weeks, and we're going to bring these um, issues with uh, the, the screening deputies in the office, and hopefully Steve can get it fixed. And have you had any uh, conversations about this uh... You know, I, you just said that you're going to be meeting with him, but I assume um, that maybe there have been some kind of conversations or have there been anything about some of these issues that you feel should be, um, you know, addressed in terms of this prosecuting time and this overall prosecuting cri criteria and what really deems suitable to, you know, be prosecuted and be taken on by this office. Has there been any response thus far uh, from that office? Well, uh, as, as far as now, no. Um, in the years past, the department has tried and our administration has sat down. They have they, they, they would have uh, uh, quarterly meetings, I believe, with the prosecuting office, prosecutor's office to go over um, these types of things. But it's always fallen on, on deaf ears. And um, maybe that's because who was in the leadership position uh, at that time. Uh, we all know all know what happened uh, with her. But um, we're hoping that uh, that 
you know, Prosecutor Om will uh, at least sit down with us and listen to our concerns and at least be open to, to make some changes. I'm going to go back to that issue that you brought up regarding the money and turning over millions of dollars back to the city. What is the reason that you have been given for those decisions? Uh, why on earth would you not try to use every dollar uh, when you know, you're telling officers that the department is cash strapped at the same time, uh, turning money back to the city? It doesn't, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense on its face. So what is the reason that you've been given for that? So we've been given multiple re multiple reasons, and we don't know which one to believe. You know, the the, the department says that the, the city cut $12 million off of their budget, but then we talk to the city council, and the city council says, no, whatever the department uh, requested as far as uh, the budget, they approved 100% of it. Um, you know, we, we just don't know who to believe. Uh, the administration, you know, basically says that it's a $300 million budget. And if we come to within one and 5% uh, of the budget without going over, then we're doing a good job. Um, I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, if we're giving back 18 million, uh, I think we should be spending it because if we're giving it back, the city council and the mayor are gonna tell the chief, well, you gave back 18 million. Uh, obviously we can, we can do with you can do with what you have we've been getting by uh so basically you know that that's not something that we agree with uh switching gears again we know that this is an election year and uh, many different unions across the state uh, look to endorse different political candidate candidates and support them in their race for uh, these various offices that are up during this election cycle uh, you know, oftentimes Shopo has been one of those units that come up first to or one of the first unions to support and, and make announcements of uh, deciding what candidates they choose to support. But we know that this is something that you actually wanted to take a look at uh, in your leadership capacity uh, when you took over this role uh, as the head of this organization and this union. Uh, talk to us about the criteria moving forward about how Shopo will decide what candidates to support and um, how this overall process will play out this election season. Yeah, so with our political strategy, we're kind of taking a, uh, not a different approach, but kind of taking a look at it as far as who we endorse and who we uh, don't want to endorse. Of course, uh, any candidate uh, that wants to seek um, our endorsement, it's an open door. Uh, we will hear and meet any and all candidates that want to seek endorsement. That's something that we, we definitely want to talk with the candidate. Uh, it, you know, just based on their character, what they represent, and we don't endorse based on uh, party lines, whether you're Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, we want to know where the candidate sits on the issue itself, whatever issue is presented before the candidate, we want to know how the candidate processes that um, issue, and then comes to a decision and which, which side that they're on. Um, so we're more about the character, the integrity of the, the um, person running for office, and then uh, basing their decision on the issue and not on uh, party lines. And so we're kind of taking a look at that. And, you know, maybe some races will stay neutral. Some other races, we will make an endorsement, but we won't contribute uh, to the campaign because a lot of times in the past, we've uh, endorsed candidates. And then when it comes time to support law enforcement in the legislature, with uh, bills that affect our members, we end up uh, taking a back seat and the candidate, you know, 
doesn't even reach out to us to at least find out where we stand on it, you know. So that's some of the things that we're looking at this political season. Just for clarification, are you saying that you're not you you will endorse perhaps uh, maybe not in all races but some, uh, but not make any financial commitments? Is that different than the past, or how is that different than the past? Um, you know, in the past, uh, as far as uh, we've done it as a board, is you know we would endorse the candidate and then we would pretty much give the maximum donation uh, to the candidate and their party, and that 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 might not be just a. a a stroke with a, a broad brush, but nine times out of 10, if we endorse the candidate, we also uh, give money to their campaign, whatever is bound under on, on on law. You know, I so, want to circle. Wait, I just want to clarify. So you're not, so Shopo's not doing any financial dis donations this campaign season, is that right? No, no, we are, but it's just that we're kind of uh, taking a look at uh, whether or not we want to uh, entertain that. So. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is not so much rely on the strategy that we've used in the past, but maybe take a look at the board is going to discuss, well, maybe we'll endorse the candidate, but we'll wait till some issues come out and see if they reach out to us or they, they you know, openly support us. And then at least we know, okay, the candidate supports law enforcement and is moving in that direction. So we would, you know, then give money to their campaign and support uh, him or her. Uh, our time is almost up. And, uh, you know, before we let you go, I, I just wanted to circle back with uh, how we began this conversation and give you an opportunity uh, for a final message that you have out there to the community. Uh, obviously, uh, this staff shortage, as you say, is something that is a priority and something that you want, uh, you know, the department as well as the general public to be aware of. Uh, what is your final message uh, this morning for those who are watching uh, on this issue and, and anything else that you want to leave us with to, uh, this morning? Well, you know, the final message to the community is that our police officers out there in HPD, we do anything and everything for the community. And whether we're short staffed or not, we're going to suit it up, come to work, and we're going to serve the community and get the job done. And I think all of our members uh, believe that and they perform the best that they can every day. And I think, you know, we should thank them for that. And this you know, patrol staffing, we want the community to deserve the best and you know, only to deserve the best is when a community calls 911, that an officer is going to respond and take care of that problem. Uh, people don't call 911 to tell the police, oh, you guys are doing a fabulous job. You know, they call 911 because they're in crisis. Um, they have an immediate problem that needs to be addressed um, and they need help. And so in order for that to happen, we need to have 100% in the field uh, so that we don't leave our, our community short. We don't have the 60-year-old uh, grandma sitting at the bus stop getting robbed, you know, uh, getting her, her purse taken. Uh, we need to show force. We need to have enough officers in the field to show that police presence so that uh, our community feels safe. And I just want to touch upon something really quick uh, in regards to uh, the selection of our new chief. You know, the main thing that we want our new chief uh, to address is obviously the patrol staffing. But the second thing is uniform and equipment. Uh, you know, we're, our officers on the road are stuck in this uniform that we've been wearing since the 80s. Um, it's a uniform that should be worn to a funeral, quite frankly. Uh, we need something that's more comfortable. We need uh, a different gun belt. The gun belt is a Sam Brown, Sam Brown gun belt that is back in the 80s. And 
you know, the department and the policing profession keeps adding tools to the belt, tasers, body cameras uh, are now on the chest. So maybe to get rid of the old leather belt and go to a nylon belt with a Velcro, uh, a load bearing vest where you take the tools off the waist and put it on the, on the, the chest and the shoulders. Uh, and this, these kinds of uh, things are so small uh, to people upstairs, but it's huge to the officers on the road because that makes their working conditions better. And if we have officers on the road that have good working conditions, it benefits the community because then they give better service. Um, so that's the things that we want from a, our, our new chief to address. And we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep on point until you know, uh, it gets addressed. Robert Cavaco, president of Shopo, thank you so much for spending so much time and delving into all of these issues with us this morning. We really do appreciate it. Okay, thank you, Yunji and Ryan. Appreciate having me on. Thank you. We covered a lot of ground, Ryan, and it was very interesting to see uh, even just that last point at the end, talking about the uniforms and the weight of the belts and things that honestly, as, as he said, as someone in the public, uh, it's not something that you even think about, but it must be very difficult for those officers to have all that gear and have the uniform that they have now. They're asking for uh, what sound like fairly simple changes on that front and some, some bigger issues, of course, as well. The staffing shortages that he pointed to uh, in some cases is, you know, just around 50% of officers being there that actually are supposed to be there. Uh, but at the same time, the department turning over millions of dollars back in their budget to the city year after year, there is a disconnect there. And obviously, uh, Mr. Cavaco bringing that to our attention and really calling out to the chief, to the city council, uh, to even Prosecutor Steve Alm in his role to try to change all of this. Yeah, just just the overall patrol staffing, he says, continues to be a, a problem that has been there, but something that continues to uh, only get worse and not better. And if anything, it just pulls uh, on the resources and the strain of the officers. Uh, you know, he painted and provided some very clear examples of how uh, the staffing issues on each of the different beats uh, and how thin that they are in some of those areas of the island, uh, and how much ground that they're really having to cover on some of those beats. Uh, and so, really, he. You know, he mentioned that they will be meeting with uh, Interim Chief Vanek to hopefully talk through some of these issues. They already have had a few conversations said that are going well, that he feels the department is understanding and, and listening to what they have to say. They still have a ways to go, uh, but good to hear that that conversation is happening and hopefully there will be some solution to this issue. Yeah, great to have him on and to highlight all of those issues. Of course, we appreciate Honolulu Police Department and all that they do for our community. And, you know, you know, the, to hear about all that money being returned is just really surprising. So we're going to follow up on this in the weeks to come. Of course, our guest was supposed to be Governor Ige. He's going to be joining us later this week. We hope you do too. Until Wednesday at 1030. Stay safe. Aloha. We'll see you then. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs and Beachside Roofing.